0: Well, whether you're here with us today or online, whether you're actually from the Tri-Cities or even further out into one of our surrounding areas, Muskegon and Coopersville, as we have campuses there, or just watching from another place, you may or may not even be aware of something we call the bridge. And for those of us who are, how many of us know there's been a promise it will get better, not a promise delivered on at this point? Anyone angry today about the lack of connection? No, just me. I'm mad every time I drive on it. I used to think I was just a small-town idiot complaining because it seemed so long. Now I have legitimacy to my anger and hostility. I bring that up because we're talking about the promise today, a promise that God delivers on. But I also want you just to consider with me for a minute, have you noticed the signage when we come to this area for those of you who are around they they move us through this bridge and we have to go different locations at different times and come back and there has to be signage to help point the way, right? I mean we all need it. In fact, I've kind of done some looking this last week to see unique signage that's supposed to because that's what signs do. A sign helps you know where you're going and get there. That's what it's for. So I found some unique ones. This is one of them. <laughs> Left and right pointing in the wrong direction. You're welcome. It's not like you're going to look in a mirror and find it. Here's, here's another one that I found interesting. Good luck. You're here. I don't know how you're going to get there, but good luck. Wouldn't it be nice if we had more signs like that? Because sometimes it feels that way. Hey, here's where you're going. Good luck. I'm not sure how it's going to go. Th- then there are signs that you're. They're kind of to catch you and confront you. I don't know if you've seen this one. Do not read under penalty of law. I You've all read it. You're all, I'm going to be, we're going to be finding you on the way out, apparently. I'm not even sure what the purpose of that would be, let alone, like, don't read this under, isn't that weird? Is anybody thinking that's just strange? And then there are the signs that confuse you by their messaging because they seem not congruent. Stop, no stopping at any time. Which one is it? I wish there were a few of these at other stop signs. No, I went through the stop sign because it said no stopping at any time. And then there's the ones that give you direction after you do it. Stop, don't go left, don't go right, don't go forward, and don't go backwards. Apparently, you're parking. You do realize this is a mess, don't you? Like, I'm not sure what you do. And then there's wrong way. Like, you are basically get out of the car and leave it. You're done. It's a mess, isn't it? It's funny because we have these signs everywhere and yet they're supposed to help us, but oftentimes they're confusing, aren't they? Now, I, I tell you this because even in this series, even in this season, one of the metaphors that scripture uses that God gives us is literally the metaphor of a sign. When Messiah is coming, and this is true of lots of the times God moves, he says there will be a sign. There will be something you can see that's gonna point you in the very direction of where I'm moving, what God is doing. And we're gonna begin there with this sign that God gives, a post, if you will, something that's gonna help us understand, oh, it's a new day. Now, I wanna tell you this before I, I give the initial passage. Just as is in Isaiah, who's a prophet. Isaiah lives in a time when Israel has had one kingdom, and they, through their demise, they become two. There's a northern part and a southern part of the kingdom, both through rebellion and through the mess. And over time, each of these kingdoms has forgotten. Each of these groups has forgotten who God made them to be. They've forgotten to worship God. They've forgotten the oppressed. And ultimately, both kingdoms get dissipated, one through a group that takes over and moves them into one place. Another takes over and moves them to lots of places to try and just water down who they are. Either way, they're both lost. And Isaiah, during this time when Israel is lost, they're all scattered out, Isaiah has these prophecies, these statements, these pictures that God gives him to give Israel hope that one day it will be different. And we go to one of those at this time, one that we've heard about in the life of the church often. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. God's gonna point to something in all this mess. You're not even a people anymore and God's gonna point. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and I will call him Emmanuel. Now, before we move on to what this means for the son, I want you just to consider the sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You realize that doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if we had an actual sign, it would be this. One way, do not enter. It doesn't flow this way. You can't not conceive. You can't have someone when you haven't engaged in what creates life. He's saying something is happening that doesn't make sense. You want to know what the sign is? It will not make sense. Now, there's all sorts of theology behind this and understanding of who God is, but I want you to pull back even more to the mystery of it for a minute. I want you to consider, I'm not asking you to be intellectual disin, intellectually disingenuous or set it aside. I'm asking you to have intellectual humility, which means this. If God's gonna do something amazing and radical, could he do it in a way that doesn't make sense? That, that's what I'm asking you to consider. And if you're here and you're a skeptic, if you go, hey, I have reason and rationale, great. Just consider with me, is it possible that God does things we can't explain? Because that's the, the gist of this sign is, God's gonna do something no one can explain. And by the way, in, ca- in case you're not considering this, he's giving this prophecy to time Israel's at their lowest and even as they're beginning to come back to Israel, they have no power, they're watching Rome be in charge. So this sign still makes no sense. Oh, by the way, it's so amazing and radical It won't make sense to you. That's what I want you to consider. And let me take you back to the ultimate picture of it, which is he will call him Emmanuel, which very simply means God will be with us. You feel alone. You feel forgotten. You feel forsaken. You don't think he's ever showing up. God will be with us, and it'll be in a way that doesn't make sense. Here's the sign. Something that can't be done will be done in a way that can't be done, and he'll be there. Now, that either is amazing or we're idiots. I just want you to understand this. I'm going with amazing, and I'm going to have you look at it with me, but it's crazy to consider. You know, we use the word radical around here because we think what Jesus does doesn't make sense. It moves above intellectual assent to intellectual humility. We're going to look at the fulfilling of this, at Mary's story as the angel visits her, but I want to back you up just a step Because it's amazing even what leads to that. So last week, Danielle taught us really about the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who end up having a baby that is a cousin to Jesus, will be, but also is the forerunner, the one that will tell Messiah's coming. And all it says at the beginning of our text is that Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. I want to pull back for a second to Elizabeth's story. Elizabeth and Zechariah would be this young Jewish couple at one time. Now, they were brought up in the ways of Israel, and Israel has over 600 commandments there to follow, 600 ways of life. The first commandment Israel is given, the first commandment in all of Scripture, is be fruitful and multiply. Now, for a woman, a female Israelite, her greatest sense of God's blessing and understanding is having kids. I want you to picture Zechariah and Elizabeth as a young couple, the dreams they have for the family they will have. And they're a year or two in, past when she would begin to think she's gonna have children, and not yet is one coming. And picture their friends coming around, them, hey, it'll be all right, Elizabeth. You know what? Lots of people don't have this happen right away. Trust God, trust God. Now, every month goes by, and not a child, and not a child, not a pregnancy, not a pregnancy. Now she's five years in. Now people are starting to say different things to her. Hey, Elizabeth, have you thought maybe God's not blessing you because there's things you're not doing right? Maybe your life isn't quite in charge in the way it should be. Maybe they're saying that to him too, and now they're doing all this introspection, and they spend years wrestling and asking and crying out. Now we fast forward into their 30s and their 40s and their 50s, maybe even their 60s. She's going, God forgot me. God doesn't notice me. Does God even care about me? Somewhere along the way, they're still seeking to follow, but they've now lived with the hopelessness that it'll never change and never get better until one day God visits Zechariah and says they're gonna have a son, and she becomes pregnant, and we know he can't even talk, so he doesn't even get to tell her. She just changes one day. Can you imagine how suddenly she thought, God noticed, God cares, God's here. Do you realize the very sense of her getting pregnant is a sign that makes no sense? I mean, we joke, as you get older, you know. I'm in that age, I have grandchildren now, if my wife came in and told me that, I would be like, this is not the Lord that did this to us. (laughs) But if I lived my whole life believing that was a blessing of God and not getting it, do you know what it would be like? Do you realize that that's a sign already? God did something that made no sense. Oh, you think it's crazy that Mary's gonna be? Let me show you an old woman that this should never happen to, and guess what? One's coming. I just don't want you to miss. And what I wanna say to you is maybe today you are in a place where you've waited your whole life for something to get better, and you don't understand why it's not, and you're thinking, God doesn't see me or care or know. And we look back at Elizabeth and go, oh yes, he does. I don't know how or what it means, but we always live with hope. I mean, can you imagine Elizabeth had hope? She had peace and she had joy as things switched. I don't want to miss this. And now we're going to take it to Mary. But all we hear about Elizabeth in the beginning of the text is she's six months pregnant. And, oh, at that time, God sends Gabriel to go see Mary, an angel. Which I always love that. Hey, Gabe, it's been six months. Head out. I don't know what the conversation's like, but that's how I picture it. And Gabe goes, you got it. I'm on my way. So he gets to Mary. She sees him. He basically says, you are highly favored by the Lord, and he is going to do something great. And she freaks out. It scares her. Now, we learned a little about this last week. I want to be really clear. When an angel visits you, it will freak you out. You know why? Because you're suddenly experiencing the holiness of God, and you and I have the veil back that we don't really see God as he is. And when you experience holiness, it's scary because we know we're not. So Mary's reaction is normal. Now, she's not reacting saying, I don't want this. She's just going, I don't get it. I don't get what this means. And we take it there. We're going to take it up. This is in Luke's account of Mary's experience of what we just read about in this prophecy that's about to come. And I also want to be clear on this. It's one of the unique things about Scripture. People have all sorts of other truth claims. Almost all of them are one book written by one person in a private revelation. The scripture is tons of people publicly being told things and visiting and God moving that then play out in other people's lives. It's public, it's over centuries, and it's lots of people. I just, I love that part of it, so I didn't want to miss. Now we're at Mary's deal. The angel comes, hey, he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Oh, he is on your side. He's with you and he's for you. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Now, the same way Elizabeth was hopeless, Mary lived in hopelessness in a different way. You see, Mary's a part of Israel. Israel's had centuries of being told one day Messiah would come back, but they've watched as God has not answered for generation after generation after generation. Now they're actually coming back to Israel, but it's like dangling a carrot you can't have because while they're in the land, Rome rules over everything, and they have no power and no impact. And God brings an angel to a woman with no power, no money, no resource, and says, guess what? I'm going to change the world through you. You you realize that's amazing, too. Even apart from the miracle of the actual coming of Jesus, just that he picks who he picks and how he picks her, she had to be looking going, you've got to be kidding me. I don't want to miss this because guess what? God is a radical God that moves in radical ways. So when you see something that doesn't make sense, instead of just going, could this be true, go, if this is true, wow. Because God likes to do things in radical ways that shake up how we think things happen. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna come. I think I'll take a woman in her senior years and I'm gonna let her for the first time have a child. Oh, I'm gonna take this one who's never had a kid and can't have a kid because she hasn't been with someone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that the agency through which I move. You do realize that's incredibly radical and crazy, right? But that's what he does. That's how he moves. Now he goes on to explain what he's doing and why he's doing it. He says, listen, he, this Messiah, this one that's coming will be great. And will be called son of the most high. Now if you're a Jew, you understand when he's connecting the most high to this sonship, he's saying this one is divine. He's actually made of the substance of Yahweh. He is God. By the way, add that to your radical doesn't make sense list because that's what he's saying, something that doesn't make sense. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. David reigned when it was a time they were doing well, but ever since, it's been falling apart and moving to nothing. So he's telling her, it's coming back, this new throne. He's gonna reign over Jacob's descendants. Oh, by the way, it'll be forever, and his kingdom will never end. Now, you and I read this, and we think of power coming and taking over and demanding and commanding. Now, we understand that the way Jesus brings his kingdom is very different. So there's that to begin with, but I wanna take it one more step back, and ask: what is God trying to say to us? What is he saying to her about his motive? What is God's motive to bring his son, to bring his kingdom? Is it God's rule and reign? And I'm gonna tell you, I believe it's something even pulling back further, which is very simply this. God does what he does out of love. And and make no mistake, this is what all of his early followers say. John, who writes one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, who is very close to Jesus, describes God this way. God so loved the world. God so loved us, the people in the world, the people on this planet, that he gave his only son. That, in other words, he's coming to be with us out of love, that whoever knows him, believes in him, won't die, but will have everlasting life. In other words, it's out of love God brings about this radical change. And we would ultimately say it is radically loving what's coming through Jesus. Now, that's not the only reference we have. Jesus himself says, as he's with his disciples, in kind of the week that he's gonna die, he says, hey, greater love has no one than this that they lay down their lives for their friends. In other words, you wanna know the greatest love, it's self-sacrificing. Oh, God's coming in the flesh in a way that makes no sense through a door that says, do not enter, He's going to be with us. He's going to die for us and bring new life out of it for us and a new way of his kingdom through us. In case you think that was just what they thought then, let's fast forward to one of the earliest leaders in the church, Paul, who at the time is named Saul, And Saul, in his need to protect Israel, because that's what his role was, he was a Pharisee, he saw these early followers of Jesus as divisive and destructive. They're telling about this Jesus who rose. He's like, couldn't happen, didn't happen. So Paul goes and finds them and throws them in jail. Saul is his name at the time. Not just that, he stands in endorsement as they stone some of them and is part of killing some of them. His whole motive is to take them out. And on one of his journeys to go and do this, A light shines, he's blinded, and Jesus says in only a way he can hear, why are you doing this to me? I'm Jesus. And his eyes are opened some days later, and his whole movement changes. And you know what Paul does to describe Jesus? He says, sometimes people would die for a good man, maybe. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's describing his love because he's experienced it. Listen, I was out to destroy what Jesus was doing through the resurrection and he loved me so much to come and reveal himself and now I'm on team because there's no love like this. Are you getting the picture? I mean, I want us to understand what this describes is radical love. We saw that in our mission. We're to be radically loving, but we must receive it before we can give it. Now, I would not be adequate to you if we didn't mine into why do we have such trouble believing radical love. And I pose this for you. I think we live in a world that can't believe it and tells us there's other ways to live. So let me give you two sides of this coin the way I see it. One is the coin of achievement. We're told to be worthy of love. We must achieve. We must do enough. For some of us, it's ingrained even in childhood. We grow up in our own families, do this, we do this to each other. You must achieve to be loved and acceptable. It can play out in lots of things. It can play out as our students in their academic lives. Hey, they better achieve well at this, then they're worthy to be proud of and loved. They must achieve in their athletic lives, then they're worthy to be proud of and loved. They must achieve in their arts, their lives in the arts, or their arts in debate, or their life in pick another area, but whatever they do, they better do it well. If they do it well enough, then they're worthy of love. And we course correct all the time to kind of keep reinforcing this. And that moves into our adult lives. You know what? As long as my work goes well, up and to the right, as long as I'm achieving, maybe then it will be enough I'm worthy of. At least if I can't achieve, if I do better than you, I can look at you and say, I'm better than that. Maybe that's enough. We have it in our work lives. We can have it in our marriages. You know what? My family and my marriage needs to look this way. And we portray something that might not even be true hoping that then people will believe we're worthy of love or our kids must achieve or fill in the blank. As long as I'm earning it, maybe then it's enough. And make no mistake, this is our culture, by the way, and the very nation and world we live in. Because what we tell people is if you dream it and work hard enough, you'll get it. So if you don't, what's it mean? You didn't do enough. So I can tell you, Jesus loves you And you don't have to earn it. But everything in the world around you says, yes, you do. And a lot of times it's inside you. You wonder if you're this way. Ask yourself if you ever know what it's like to stop or if there's always more to do. Or you're always telling yourself, well, once this is, then maybe. Because what that's saying is, I don't receive, I earn. Got to work hard enough for it. Now, that's one side of it. Let me flip to the other side. The side that says, you know what, I can't earn it. And I don't want you to know what it's like, so I'm going to hide it. Or we take another iteration, which is I'm going to pretend like who I am is all just good. So all the messes are just, let's just act like that's how I'm supposed to be. Maybe for you, maybe one of our students here, our kids here go, you know what? I've never quite measured up and I never quite achieved the way I'm supposed to. I just want to hide because I'm not good enough. Maybe you grew up in a home that's so busy and so burdened. The idea of being attentive to who you actually are is missed out on. Maybe in West Michigan, you're single. Do you know what? That's like the curse of death in West Michigan. You're not married? When are you getting married? Who are you dating? As if to say somehow you're less than because you're single. Oh, no, there must be something wrong with me. Worse yet, maybe you're divorced. How did you not succeed? What is wrong with you in married life? Maybe it's another iteration. You're in marriage, but you're a poser. Man, my spouse sees I'm not as good as everyone else thinks I am. I don't even know how this thing's going. Maybe it's in your work, and you've never achieved what you thought you should. Maybe it's all of the dreams you had and just don't come to be. Maybe it's you look in the mirror and go, I never seem to follow up and get through what I'm supposed to. I just want to hide. See, radical love meets us not because we earn and not be because we can't do enough. Jesus meets us and says, I love you. And your brokenness, it's something I bring to you, it's not something you can do. And so for me, while I wanna say it, I go, listen, I'm saying it for a few minutes on a Sunday. Everything in your life is gonna give you a different message when you walk out these doors. And until you learn to continue to receive this, you will be bound by those other things. I can call it radical love, but you need to ask yourself, am I hiding or am I earning or am I pretending? We got to receive. We can't give and we can't make it happen. I, I wish I could just pray it and it's like, okay, you all got it now. I'm telling you, it's a journey. It's why we say it in our mission, radically loving, because we have to keep discovering what this means. And what he's promising to her is something beautiful that we do not fully understand. I want to just give you a picture of it, maybe to help along the way with where we're posturing ourselves. Jesus tells a story of a religious man going into the synagogue. And the religious man goes in, and we get a window into what he's thinking. And he goes in, and he goes, hey, God, thanks. Thanks that my life is blessed and good. Thanks that I'm not like these other people who are a mess. I've earned it. My life is good. Thank you that I've earned it, and you're pleased with me because of what I've done he says, he takes you to another person who just beats their chest and goes, I have mercy. I don't know what to ask for, but just you. And Jesus goes, it's the one who asks for me, not the one who tries to figure it out or earn it. And what would it be like for you and I just to go, God, have mercy. I can't earn it. I can't hide from it, and I can't pretend I don't need it. Would you just show me your love and let me experience it and grow in it? Would you help me to be seen when I feel unseen? Would you help me to stop trying to earn when I'll never be at that place where it'll be enough? Would you help me to stop pretending and just tell everybody this is exactly how i made and who I am and instead go, you love me in the broken parts and the good parts, all of it? Do you see how we need that? Like Christmas came for us to have that. That's where we start is what we receive, but it doesn't end there. Let me take you back to Mary's story because she is a recipient, but she's also one that will jump into what's going to happen. I love this, because remember, he said the virgin will be a child, and she asked the very obvious question. Um, I'm sorry, how does that happen? Virgin, that's like oxymoronic. It can't be virgin as a kid. What are you talking about? That's a good question, right? Don't you appreciate Mary? Hey, uh, angel, I don't want to cause any problems. She's not asking a question of doubt. She's like, I just this is a disconnect for me. I don't understand how a virgin can be with child. She doesn't even say, hey, if this happens, I'm gonna be in trouble. I mean, imagine what all the people will say. That's a whole nother problem. She's just like, what does this even mean? And I love the angel's response. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. Oh, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. You know what the answer is? It's a work of God. Oh, you want to know? Well, the Holy Spirit will be upon you. In other words, the Holy Spirit will be in you. That's how it happens. Oh, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, which literally means to cover you. When we see this picture in the Old Testament and at any other time, it's a covering like a cloud, meaning we couldn't even fathom God being around us. So he covers like he does in the Old Testament with a cloud. So Israel doesn't see him, but he's present. And what he's saying, the angel is, is guess what? The Holy Spirit does it. He's with you and he's the one to move in you. You wanna know how this is gonna happen, how Jesus will be born into your life? He's with you, and he does the work to build into you. Now, I tell you that partly because it's an amazing answer to a question like, how does this happen, which is basically God does something we can't explain. He goes through a door that says, do not enter, and enters anyway. And by the way, in case you don't know, he leaves the the earth the same way. It says, do not exit, you die, and he goes, oh, no, not not, not so much, I'm gonna rise. In case you don't know, do not enter, do not exit, and he goes, I'm done with the doors. I just love that, and when people say this couldn't be true, I go, well, if the resurrection happened, you're you're sunk. Now, if it didn't happen, you can tell me I'm wrong, but I think it did, so let's talk about that. It's for another day, but I just, I don't want us to miss this. Here's the part that connects, though. Mary gives birth to Jesus. When Jesus dies and rises, he gives you and I his spirit, and Jesus fills us, and guess what he does? He wants to grow up and give birth. We give birth in a sense as Mary does in how we live. For those of you who go, wait, that's weird. Jesus isn't putting his presence and we're giving birth. Let me ask it this way. Any of you ever had a dream for a vision, like for your future, for your job, for your family? Have ever any had those? That's birth, by the way. When you have a dream and you bring it to bear, it's birth. God wants to bring to birth in us His very presence in life. It means He doesn't just want us to have His presence, He wants us to grow up in it. You know, Paul prays for us. He says this I'm praying like the pains of childbirth that Christ would be formed in you. In other words, I'm helping give birth to the work of God in your lives. And then, countless times, we read through all the life of the early church Hey, grow up in your faith. Don't keep drinking milk. You should have solid food now. Mature in this thing called faith. Grow in it. Let the very presence of Christ grow in your life. This is the crazy part. Not only do we receive radical love, we're then called to be his presence to give radical love to everyone around us as we grow in it. Tell me that's not amazing. I mean, I'm moving children right now. They're so amazed by it. I can't even handle it. I'm crying from this. It's too much. The radical love of Jesus, we don't earn it. We don't hide from it. We don't pretend we don't need it. Maybe for some of us today, it's just saying, God, I can't keep trying to earn this thing. I'm exhausted. God, I don't want to keep hiding. I'm so ashamed. God, I'm not going to pretend and say, well, I'm just this way. I just need your love. And I'm going to pray for us with that. And there may be some of you that are with us that you don't even follow Jesus. And I go, hey, here's the invitation. You ought to. (laughs) Go ahead. Keep running the train. Try to earn it. Go ahead and keep telling yourself you can hide from the mess or pretend it doesn't matter. But it's going to keep leaving you unfulfilled in a mess. And I'm telling you, as crazy as it is, God came through a door marked no entry. He came to show his radical love to every one of us. And I just want to pray that we'll receive it. Now, that's not enough for those of us who follow him because very simply, we receive it, we grow it, and we give it away. In other words, what we receive at Christmas is not just, hey, Jesus loves me. No, I'll go be harsh to everyone. It's I want to know this and grow in it. And by the way, I want to give it away to anyone, anywhere, anytime. I mean, this is really simply our mission. We say we're to be radically loving and growing together in Christ, and we define it this way. We encounter the radical love of Jesus. Any of you, I, I I'll, I'll bet some of you have been Christians 30, 40 years. Any of you say I've exhausted the radical love of Jesus or I'd like more? I know for me, I'd like more. With me? Please tell me you want more. Good. So don't we want more to, n- to discover this? Can we agree that the world around us says you need to earn you need to hide or you need to pretend. go, you know, no, no, no. I need to just receive. I want to beat my chest and say, have mercy. God, I just need more. I need more of this radical love. And then could you and I say as followers of Jesus, I actually want to grow in this thing of love. I want to grow in both receiving and learning to live in it that I might give it to others anywhere, anytime, anyplace. You realize that's the beauty of Jesus. He didn't just come to do it once and for all. He came and then gives it all to us to go, oh, by the way, I'm birthing myself in you and in you and in you and in you and in you. You get my presence and you get my presence. You know, we talk about this all the time. I mean, oh, my goodness, he's given us him to go. And you don't just get to receive this. You actually get to be this to the world in need. Tell me you don't see people every day that need his love. Do you know it's radical when you actually care and speak truth into people's life of his love? Do you know it's radical when you walk with them down a long road where they think they're unlovable and unforgivable? You know it's radical when you tell them you value them, not because of what they provide for you, but because of who they are? Do you get that? Because you'll get it more the more you understand and receive it. It'll grow in you. Now I tell you this every time. I wish I could just tell you it and you go, oh, that I did not know that. I'm leaving differently. And I'm going, the only thing I know is ask the Spirit to help you. My words do nothing unless God's Spirit moves in you. So let's pray. And let me pray for you now with that. And if you want it, maybe just even put your hands out. You can put them low. You don't have to let other people see. You can pretend you're just stretching them. I don't care. Lord, I'm asking for your very presence to fill us. God, I pray for those that are earners, that are always saying, once I get to, and if I do enough, or even probably think I'm better than, would you... Bring both humility and joy to say stop trying and receive. God, would you minister to those who say I'm hiding because I'm ashamed and I don't like what I see inside? And would you whisper into them, I love you just as I made you. With those who are pretending, God, saying, "Oh no, these broken things are actually good things. Would you help them to see that you love them in their brokenness, not you love the brokenness? Would you minister your radical love where we need it? For those that want to respond and receive you, would you fill them fresh and let them know they are forgiven and loved by you? And oh Lord, I am asking that the seed you're planting, you're working in you, would till it and grow it in us. That we would grow in our understanding of love, that we would give it. Lord, everywhere we go, in every situation, to everyone in need. Would you be doing that even in this coming week? I ask this in your name and your power. Confessing I can do nothing, you do everything. Amen.